Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Easter, it's, it's a big deal, isn't it? Man, you know, it's, it was a big deal a long time ago when Jesus rose from the dead. That made it a big deal for certain. Uh, but it's become kind of a big deal just around town, uh, in our culture. I bet you didn't quite know that. 81% of all Americans, 81% of all Americans this year will celebrate Easter in some way, shape, or form. Uh, it may not all mean the same thing to everybody. Uh, they might be celebrating spring or whatever it might mean to them, but 81% of people are celebrating Easter today. And then uh, if that wasn't, you know, fun, how about this one? For those of you that had, uh, you know, little baskets or some chocolate laying around or whatever that happens to be today, okay, here it goes. Ready? 90. I got to double check. 90. 90 million chocolate bunnies will be eaten. That's, that's wrong. Okay. <laughs> but it gets even more wrong. You ready? Here we go. Here we go. 1.5 billion. Billion. All I know is that's more than a million. 1.5 billion marshmallow peeps will be consumed. Seriously? All right, let's do it right now. Who likes them? Who likes them? All right, then who eats? That's what I'm saying. Every time I've ever done that in my life, the people who like them, you can put up four hands if you want. You're still in the minority. I don't get it. I don't get it. Okay, let's keep going here. Oh, oh man. But you know what? No matter what, no matter the bunnies, the, the spring celebration, no matter the colored eggs, the, the hunts, the peeps, one of the greatest things that happens on Easter is that 50% of all Americans go to church. It's the number one day in America that people will attend church. 50% of all Americans, everybody you work with, everybody in your neighborhood, 50% of everybody will wind up in church today. You see, it's because Easter is more than the bunnies and more than the peeps and more than the baskets and more than the hunts. It is so much more than that. It's a day that we celebrate the resurrected Savior. It is the day that we celebrate and proclaim that death has lost its sting. And we who believe in Christ will live for tomorrow. All the tomorrows into eternity that there are. Let me remind you. Let's just pick up right where the cross left off. You see, because right after Jesus was crucified on the cross, his body was removed, he was put in a tomb. There was this giant rock put over the tomb, and there were these two centurion guards that were set on either side of the tomb to guard it to make sure there was no monkey business. And here's what happens. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered... They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men clothed in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. 
In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And at that, the whole world changed. At that, all humanity hinged and turned. At that, there is now life for all of those who believe in Christ, his death, and resurrection. Now, for some of you, that's a very familiar story. Maybe even for most of you here today, that's a very familiar story. Some of you, it's a, it's a more unfamiliar story. And you're here exploring, checking it out. Somebody who brought you or a family member has been talking to you about this Jesus and his death and resurrection. So you're, you're wanting to know. We're glad you're here. For others of you, I heard one pastor describe it as uh, you have a drug problem. Someone drug you here. I thought it was funny too, so I would use it. Moms are good at that. Grandmas are good at that. Aunts are good at that. Well, if you're coming over for dinner, you're going to church. It's good. We're really glad you're here. Seriously. It doesn't matter the reason you're here. We're just glad you're here. And we pray that today will be an amazing day in your life. We pray that today, no matter who you are, today will be a day that your history hinges on. And you find new life in Christ. You see, the passage we just read is the reason that we all are gathered. The women showed up at the grave, but the grave was empty. Jesus was not among the dead, for he was risen. Why is this so important? You see, because we were separated from God. There was this great chasm that existed between us. Because righteous, a holy God says, I created you and made you, and here's how you live, and I got the best life for you. I'll lead you, I'll guide you, I'll point you. I'll be your God and you be my people and we will live in perfect unity. And then we said as people, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to lead my life. I'm going to make my choices, my decisions. And we went ahead and did our own thing. And God said, I got it. But I am life. You choose me, you choose life. You walk with me, you walk with life. Without me, you have death. And that is the consequences of our sin. That's the consequences of walking apart from God. It's death. You have life and you have death, and there has to be a bridge. There has to be some sort of unity there. Scripture even says at one point that we are at war with God, that you are either with him or you are against him. Well, Christ shows up on the scene, and because of God's great love, he said, I do not want I do not want people to have to be at war with me. I do not want people lost. I want there to be a way. I want there to be a payment for those penalties. I want there to be a way that we can be united again. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But Christ showed up with several proclamations. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. I'm the bridge. I'm the bridge. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never missed the mark. He never turned away from the Father. His plan, driven by his love, was to live perfectly, to be the perfect sacrifice for each one of our sins. Not just one, but for all of them. I've asked Doug to join us this morning. Because I want you to hear some scriptures. Because sometimes we're under the impression 
that because everybody got so mad at him that he claimed to be God, that he claimed to be the only way, the truth, and the life, that when the Jewish leaders decided to kill him and turned him over to the Romans and that he was killed, that somehow or another that was a plan gone wrong, and somehow or another that was an accident, somehow or another that wasn't his plan, somehow or another that wasn't best, or that he was in a predicament that he couldn't get out of, it's the exact opposite. He showed up on the scene for the very reason to take our place on the penalty of death. And I've asked Doug to share some scripture that will point us to that exact passion, purpose that he was here to accomplish. Philippians 2 declares that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, but taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what he did. He went to the cross and took on sin, which was not his, and bore a burden, which we could not, and made a way for us to draw into deep and intimate relationship with his Father. God had made a way for his people to come to him beforehand, but he had something far greater in mind when he sent Jesus. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14 says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He was and remains the perfect sacrifice. His sacrifice reached into eternity past and stretched into eternity future and covers all those who would call on his name and believe in him and recognize that God had sent him here for that redemptive purpose. Scripture tells us that even one sin, one white lie, is enough to be indictable. It is enough to put insurmountable distance between us and God, but Christ's sacrifice is enough for us. It's enough for everyone to cover all of our sins. You see, his sacrifice is sufficient to cover all sins across all time. Sufficient. The sacrifice to cover all sins across all times, past present, and future. Did you hear that passage that he read? That the sacrifices were brought to the altar again and again and again and again, but they weren't sufficient because there was another sin to follow. They weren't sufficient because our work is never sufficient. Our work is never as holy as God is holy. Our work can never accomplish what our sin has deteriorated. And yet, Christ in his sufficiency, because he was holy God and holy man, could pay the price for all those before, all those now, and all those to come. He could pay that penalty. He was the sufficient sacrifice. And because of his resurrection, it wasn't just that it would be the the sufficient sacrifice for our sin. It wouldn't be just that a penalty was paid, but we can live, that we can live. We become sons and daughters of the living God who have an inheritance in him that will last an eternity. 
Everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything. For if the resurrection was not true, then he was not God. If the resurrection was not true, then his death was in vain. If the resurrection was not true, then his death was not sufficient. For the resurrection proved in all of his statements, it proved that who he was, it proved that he was the king over death and life. The resurrection. Just like when the women showed up at the tomb, they had a choice. We have a choice today. We have a choice every day of our lives. Will we look into the tomb and believe that he has risen? Will we believe that Christ is who he said he is? Will we believe that he has done what he said he has done? Will the resurrection be our everything? Will it be what our life hinges on, our faith and our belief? Some have said no. Some have said, uh-uh, resurrection didn't happen. Some have said it was only meant to be an, an allegory. It was just meant to be that, uh, you know, that his spirit raised, but not his body. Problem with that. The tomb was empty. Where did his body go? Problem with that. The grave clothes were abandoned. Where did the body go? problem with the allegory language that many of his followers saw him and others saw him. They saw him physically. They touched him. They talked with him. They walked with him. What do you do with that if it was only an allegory? Well, some have said, no, it's not true. Uh, maybe, maybe he didn't really die. Maybe after the tour, the, the, the the, the horrible torture he experienced and being hung on a cross that he slipped into a coma. I mean, that type of pain, how could you not? Okay, let's unpack that one for a minute. He was crucified not by somebody in their backyard. He was crucified by a Roman executioner, multiple ones. He was crucified by a Roman executioner who was trained in executing people. That's what they did over and over and over again. If Rome was known for anything, they were known for their power, their strength, their military might, yes, but for killing people. They knew how to do it, and they did it really, really well. It's even said that at one time, they had gotten so good, they had become so good at killing people on a cross that they were running low on the wood required for the cross to kill people. Really? He was just going to slip into a coma and the people responsible for killing him wouldn't have noticed? They wouldn't have figured it out? The experts? Because if he would have remained alive, even after the spearing, watching the fluids of his body rush out, those executioners would have been killed immediately. Their very lives depended on him being dead. Let's just say, though, that that did happen. Slipped into a coma, put into the tomb, a giant boulder shoved up in front of it. The centurion guards, like we talked about, on the side of it. 
and Jesus, after being wrapped in close to 100 pounds of burial linen and spices, after being wrapped in grave clothes for three days, no food, no water, in the dark, cold, damp tomb, no modern medicine, no Gatorade, woke up, unwrapped himself, and moved the stone out of the way. And in walking past the Roman guards, what's up, boys? It is a good day, isn't it? And then he had to convince the disciples, his followers, and all those that saw him that you need to tell everybody that I was dead and that I rose again. I got it. I was in a coma. You know the secret. But you have to convince everyone that I was dead and rose again. Otherwise, I'm not really God like I said I am. And so all of his followers made up this lie and then perpetrated this lie time and time and time again. A lie that they were killed for, brutally murdered for. And each one of them declared the risen Christ from the dead. Peter, crucified upside down because he didn't find the crucifixion of Jesus himself worthy to die the same way that Jesus did. Paul, beheaded. So many other followers and disciples killed in the most brutal manner and way that you could ever imagine. Some beaten and hung on a cross while their family was killed in front of them before they could actually suffocate and die. For what reason? The risen Jesus Christ. Because the tomb was empty. Because everything hinges on that. Of all people in ancient of the ancient world, we have tremendous amount, a tremendous amount of historical record attributed, written about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and many different writings outside of Scripture or his disciples. But it's not going to be the evidence. I can't give you enough understanding. I can't, and so many, there's some people in our room right now that could just they could just unpack things for you right now. They'll be going, oh, you know, you believe this is true, right? Well, there's so much more. It will not be the evidence. There will be no proof that will cause you to trust in the resurrection, that will cause you to believe in the resurrection. It will take simply your faith. It'll take your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ and who he was that the resurrection really happened. Why? Because it doesn't matter how, how many stories we debunk about what could have happened. You didn't see it. You didn't witness it. You weren't there. And whatever you don't see, whatever you don't witness, whatever you can't touch, there could be doubt. There could be disbelief. There could be wondering. There could be really, it could happen. And maybe that's where you sit today. Maybe you sit in a spot today. I can't believe that. I don't know then I'm going to say to you, that will continue to keep you separated from the God of all creation, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The way to peace that we're going to talk about in a second, the way to a new life, and the way to hope is through Jesus Christ and believing in the resurrection. Listen to what John wrote 
the only one that remained at the cross upon his death. Listen to what he wrote in the first week of Jesus' resurrection. A week later, the disciple, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Lord gave us that passage right there, thinking forward to us. Because we would not be able to see. We would not be able to touch. And so he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. John goes on to say, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, <coughs> the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life comes from believing in Christ, who he was, what he did, the sacrifice that he paid, and the resurrection that he was and is. Life is found there. But John talks about blessing. Let's go there for a second. What is this blessing that happens to those who believe? The very first thing we find is that they're made at peace with God. Remember the chasm? Remember the separation? Because we went our way and God said, there's a penalty to be paid for going your way. You get to walk in death, but death is permanent. I am life. Stay with me. And life with me is also permanent. We chose our side when we walked away from him. And Christ came and paid that penalty, bridged that gap, brought peace between us, that there will always be peace for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Do you ever feel, do you ever get the feeling, I'm just really distant from God. God seems like he's a, a bazillion miles away. Is there really a God? Do you know why you feel that way? Because without Jesus Christ, you are distant from God. Without Jesus Christ, there is a gap and that gap cannot be bridged. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough good things. You cannot inherently do anything in and of yourself to bridge that gap. But Jesus Christ and his great love for us did bridge that gap. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 1, 1 through 5. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. We're over here. And sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But because of his great love, strictly because Jesus loved us, nothing we did. Because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Huh. He redeemed us. We have been redeemed. It wasn't just that he died for us but he paid a price for us. Remember, we were bound to that life of death. How is it that we get out if we can't do it ourselves? He redeemed us. It's language used that abolitionists used. It's language used of, of freeing a slave. It's language used of buying someone out of slavery 
so that they could have their freedom, not so that they could remain a slave, but I buy you out of slavery that you may go and live free. I want you to hear the story of a pastor who with several of the people from his congregation went to Thailand. And while they were there, they met a missionary. And I want you to hear it from his words. In Thailand, I met a Caucasian missionary couple who introduced their son, a beautiful, dark-skinned little boy, to me. I said, I'd love to hear your adoption story. And with great joy, they couldn't wait to explain it. They said this, the little boy's parents were so poverty-stricken that they were going to sell him into slavery to be raised as a slave in order to pay off their debts. Not uncommon in other parts of the world. (laughs) This missionary couple was so moved by what the future would look like for this little child that to great and exhaustive expense to themselves, they used the money they had and purchased the little boy. And then they adopted him so he could grow up to be a free child. And now they explained, he is a son and no longer a slave. What is the blessing of the resurrection? We are no longer a slave to death. We have been bought, redeemed into life. We are no longer a slave to death. We are sons and daughters of the living God, redeemed from death and brought into life that we can live as free people in Christ. But that's the key, in Christ. So what are the blessings? We have peace with God. What are the blessings of the resurrection? That we rise to a new life. This free life, we get to live very differently now. Listen to what Colossians says. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, right? Since our belief in the resurrection, all that Christ did, we too raised to new life. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are given new life. New life. We get to now live this life incredibly different. We now live in unity because of the peace that was brought between us and God. We now live in unity with God. We now know right from wrong. We now know how to pursue that which is best and worthy and that which is full of love and that which is full of sacrifice and that which is full of forgiveness. We now know how to live that way and he will show us. He promised to send a counselor upon his resurrection and ascension to heaven. He promised to send a a counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with us, guiding us, leading us, showing us, explaining to us the ways of our new kingdom, the ways of eternity, the ways of Jesus Christ, because we have been given new life. Let let me put it to you this way, because I really want you to be able to to grapple and understand this. I really do. I, I was a youth pastor a while back, and uh, I was told that you could uh, put together golf tournaments and you could raise money and help send your students on missions trips. Well, we had about uh, that year at the church I was at, we had 100 or so students going on missions trips. I'm like, we need money. 
And I was like, let's go raise some money. I go, well, how do these things work? Because I'm not a golfer. When I do golf, it's a bad deal. And I said, how do these things work? They're like, hey, man, you know, guys love to golf. Golf's expensive. If they get to golf with other guys, they like golfing with other guys. And they'll throw money in all sorts of pots, and you get that money when it's all over. I'm like, that's a good deal. What do I got to do? So I got some guys together who golf and do these tournaments. And they say, here's what you got to do. You got to have a hole that does this. You got to have something over there. You pay an insurance company to have a car out there. If they get a hole in one, they get the car. They never do. You just get money. And then it's great. And I said, well, that's, that's, that sounds like a win. And they're like, you got to sell some mulligans. And I'm like, a mulligan? What's a mulligan? And they said, it's a do-over. <laughs> Hold on. A do-over? Golf has do-overs? And they're like, well, you can buy a do-over. I go, can I buy 100 of them? I'm like, you can't buy a hundred of them. You can buy a couple of them. And I go, so what does that mean? He goes, well, you get a couple of them. You, you got a bad shot, you get a do-over, and it'll give you 25 bucks for a do-over. And I go, 25 bucks for a do-over, that's pretty stinking good. And I said, so, so but I can't get a hundred of them? I go, because the last time I golfed, promise this is true, no exaggeration, the last time I golfed, at the end of nine holes, I was at a hundred. That's how bad I am. I was really wanting a bunch of mulligans. And they said, no, you can only buy a couple of them. I said, oh, that is not what it means to have a new life. That is not what it means to be raised to new life in Christ. That is not what it means to be made new, to be born again. It means the mulligan goes on and on and on. We will get it wrong sometimes. We won't always have it right sometimes. But because of the sacrifice, the sufficient sacrifice that lasts for all time, we do not have to make that up. Christ made that up. Christ made that up every single time. And what does he do in this new life? He guides us in how to do it right the next time. He guides us in how to submit our lives to him. He guides us into the best way to live, a way with purpose and a way with hope and a way that gives life to others. It's the best mulligan you could ever have. It's called Jesus Christ. And he keeps it coming and coming. What are the blessings we believe by believing in the resurrection? We can have peace. We rise to a new life, and there's always tomorrow. Let that sink in for a minute. There's always tomorrow. That's what the empty tomb reminds you of. There's always tomorrow. How dark your day is today, there will be tomorrow. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He promises to always be with us. He promises to be our strong tower. He promises to be our refuge. He promises to be all that we need. He promises to do more than we could ever imagine in our life. He promises that there is always a tomorrow. You see, because no matter how bad it gets, even if today gets so bad that this is my last breath on earth, the promise is there is a tomorrow the alarm will go off again. We will breathe again. We will take that next gasp and that next breath. We will do it in the presence of the Father God himself because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection, because of the empty tomb. There is always hope for tomorrow. And if our culture, if our society needs anything right now, they need hope. And that comes in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. It says, all praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his mercy that we have been born again, right? Made at peace, given a new life. We've been born again. Because, why? God raised Jesus Christ from the death. Now we live. Because he lives, we live. We live with great expectation. And we have a priceless 
inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Maybe you said as a child, I believe in Jesus and everything he did. It is kept for you secure. Your salvation, your tomorrow, it will not rot, it will not rust, and it will not decay. No matter how tough this life gets, your promise of a tomorrow will not rust, it will not rot, it will not decay, and it will not diminish. What's the blessing of belief in the resurrection? You have peace between you and God. You have the chance with the greatest mulligan ever to live life different, to live life in him, to live life his way. And then you have hope. There's always a tomorrow. I want you to hear a story. I want you to hear a story about how all this comes together. And as the story starts to unfold, I want you to hear the small child's voice. Even though you're staring at a grown woman, I want you to hear the proclamation that you are risen and I trust you. I want you to see peace. I want you to see the hope. I want you to see the new life. Settle in. I want you to see the fruit, the blessing of the resurrection. So I guess the story of my life is really the story of Jesus showing up and um, bringing redemption out of a pile of ashes. Um, that pile of ashes was for sure my family. Um, I was born into a family that had, um, had really strayed away from Jesus for quite a few generations. And uh, when my parents got married, my dad was 42, my mom was 19. Um, so a 19-year-old walking into that relationship and, and very soon having me was, was tough. And about 18 months after I was born, uh, my mom decided to sort of step away and just take a break. She just needed to sort of um, collect her thoughts. While my mom was gone, uh, my dad um, started to have eyes for another lady that he worked with. And um, this woman was a Christian. Um, so that's where it starts. My dad became a Christian. He divorced my mom. He married my stepmom. Um, my childhood was fraught with Lots of fighting, um, a really traumatic divorce for me and everyone else involved. Um, I remember at age uh, about six or eight, six or seven, thinking, wow, I need to figure this out because um, while my dad and mom both describe God the same way, the pictures of their God are very different. Um, so I remember thinking, I need to figure this out. And after some, I don't know what a seven-year-old does, <laughs> not research, um, thinking, praying, just trying to figure things out, I realized that the picture of God that my father told um, was closer to the God that I had been interacting with um, up until that point in time. In all of the pain and suffering of my childhood and through the divorce, um, I ran to God so hard without hesitation every single time. Um, and I was young. I, I, have, I have no way to explain that. Um, and so in the midst of a family, um, my mom didn't really follow the Lord. Um, and, and none of my siblings really did. I had five from my father's first marriage and, and four more. And then my mom ended up with twins who were 12 years younger than me. So um, I remember most of my life uh, just praying for my family's salvation, um, praying for my mom's salvation, praying for my siblings' salvation. And um, 
right? In college, I remember um, some pretty nutso things, but, but towards the end, there was a week where I walked into my house and found my roommate hanging from the ceiling, staring at me. Um, and on a Thursday, I found out that my best friend, um, who I had taken care of for two years, um, she was deaf and had cancer, um, and I had taken care of her for a really long time, um, that she'd actually been lying the entire time. She was diagnosed with Munchausen's, and she did not have cancer, and she was not deaf. And so um, all of those years that I'd been interpreting for her um, and taking care of her, they were all a lie. Um, and so as I was dealing with both of those things, I just remember that time being such a sweet time with the Lord because he filled me with nothing but forgiveness for the people around me. He filled me with nothing but compassion and mercy for my roommates, for the, the, the friend of mine that I'd taken care of, um, in ways that are absolutely unexplainable, clearly unexplainable. I have no idea where that compassion and mercy and grace and love and forgiveness came from, um, and it came from the cross. It came from Christ. As I was struggling through these things, um, my mother, my mother's heart finally broke, I think, for Jesus. She started asking me a lot of questions, and um, she was baptized soon after. Um, then the twins started really asking me questions about Jesus, they would ask me to play my Jesus Freak music when I was their nanny during the summer and um, ended up growing up, accepting Christ, being baptized, live amazing Christian lives. Um, my sister, in fact, is going to graduate with a doctorate in nursing and going to go and be a medical missionary in Nepal. And so um, the verse that God gives me through all this is this. It's um, 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness to be, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And uh, all I have to say is I was praying for my family, not having any idea of where salvation would come from. God had a plan, and he wanted them. He wanted them to reach repentance. He wanted them to be with him forever, so much more than I did. There's this song that always gets to me called Not For A Moment. And uh, the first verse is, um, you were reaching through the storm, walking on the water, even when I could not see. And in the middle of it all, when I thought you were a thousand miles away and it would never happen, not for a moment did you forsake me. Not for a moment did you forsake your children. You redeem even the craziest situations and nothing is beyond your forgiveness. You can make all things beautiful for your glory. And that's God's fingerprints on my life. Nothing is unforgivable. Everything can be redeemed. Everything can be used for the glory of God. See, the resurrection changes everything. But we can make you believe. But that child believed. And all the promises, all the blessings, they came true in her life. And today, Gretchen gives her life away all the time that others would believe. She walks alongside girls and women, and she, she wouldn't spend a year of her life traveling around the country, literally living out of a van with one of her friends, to find strangers who didn't know about the resurrection. 
She believed. She was at peace with God. She was given a new life. And she absolutely has hope for tomorrow. You have to believe. You have to at some moment in your life say yes. You have to some moment in your life say, yes, I believe and I want to walk with Jesus. I believe and I want that forgiveness. I believe and I want that peace and I want that new life. And I want hope that never ends, that it's all, there is always a tomorrow. And I want that. 50% of all Americans go to church on this day. Because the resurrection changed everything. Will it change your life? Has it changed your life? If today you're like, that's it, I want it, then choose it. Say yes. But don't let a day go past. Don't say maybe tomorrow. Don't say, ah, I got to, don't wait. I went up to one of my best friends in the world, and I just said, hey, I said, man, you're a cop. You go out every night, man. What if tonight you don't come back? I said, you got to tell me, are you going to be in heaven? Because you know I said yes to Jesus. He goes, I know. I said, are you going to be with me? And his answer crushed me. He said, I'm a lot better than most of the people I meet. I do a lot of good things. I think I'm going to do enough to see you there, Tim. No. I said, you won't. You never will. All you got to do is say yes to Christ. If you were brought here today, don't forget Gretchen's words. It doesn't matter who brought you, kicking and screaming and pushing and poking, how many people have been telling you about Jesus. God wants you far more than they want you to know God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you that you gave your life on our behalf, that you are who you claim to be, that you are the living God who sacrificed everything on our behalf. But yet you did not let death keep you down. Even though you paid the penalty for our sin, you rose that we could live with you, that we could have peace and that we could have hope that there would be a tomorrow, a constant tomorrow and always a tomorrow, that there would forever be a tomorrow with you. And so, Father, for all those in this room who have given their lives to you, who seek you, who say, hey, you are my God, teach me. I always am at peace with you and I have hope. Then I thank you for each and every one of them, Father. For those in this room, Lord, that have not yet said, yes, I believe, have not been as the, the women and the disciples and our, our Lord is risen and have not given their trust and their faith to, to you, then I I ask, Lord, right now, call them into your presence. Right now, Father, right now, Father, change their life. Right now, Father, give them the courage. Give them the understanding to say, yes, I believe. I want to rise with you. If that's you this morning, it's a prayer like this. You can pray it right along with me. Father, I do believe. I believe in what you did. I believe in your son and his sacrifice. I believe that you paid the price that I couldn't pay. I believe that I will rise with you in life. I thank you that we are at peace, that you are going to call me and, and 
and have me as your son or your daughter. You will teach me how to walk in this life and how to live differently. And Lord, I, I give my life to you. Maybe you've just been walking really far from the Lord. Maybe your relationship with God has just been distant. And today, draw close to him because he hasn't gone anywhere. Draw close. With your head still bowed, if you prayed that prayer today, if you said, Jesus, I believe, I believe, would you raise your hand just so I can see you? Just so I can thank God for you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Praise Jesus. Praise God. Praise you for the resurrection. Praise that you live today. Uh, join me if you would look up. Father, thank you for every one of these. Go ahead and look up. I know it's a different way to pray. Father, thank you for every person who said yes to you. Father, bless their lives just as you promised. Bless their lives. If you still have that connect card with you and you said yes to Jesus, would you just write your name on there? It, hopefully you already did, right? But what I want you to do is put a star up in the corner. I said yes to Jesus. I believe and put a star up in the corner and just take that card and give it to Doug out in the hallway. And he's got a Bible and a reading plan. And, and we want to help you walk with Jesus. And if you said, hey, I've just been distant, then put a square on there. And we're going to contact you because we want to help you walk with Jesus. We're so thankful that you were here today. Remember, use that Connect card as a tool. Star says, hey, I said yes, I believe. A square says, I've been distant and I want to walk again with him. And let us help you. Let us help you. Here's how we're going to end today. We're going to raise to our feet. Would you join me? We're going to raise. And we are going to declare our belief in the living God. That as we walk out of here, he is the father of all. He is the son of all. He is the Holy Spirit of all. He rose that we might live. And let us declare our belief as we go out into the world, as we go about our day, as we go about our celebrations, we go and live with him. May we declare this belief and may we walk in belief in the one true God. In the one true God. We believe, amen. Amen. Have an amazing rest of your Easter. Be blessed and walk in the Lord.